Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Assistant Director here at Career Services. Today, a fabulous guest on our podcast, a two-time Bearcat graduate, hailing originally from Salisbury, Missouri. I had no idea where that was either until I asked her. First time graduated with a degree in elementary ed with a SPED concentration or certificate or something. And then graduate, and that was in 2001. Uh, A little history, I came in 2001, so we overlapped slightly there for one semester and then graduating again with her master's in early childhood education. Please welcome Michelle Vaught. So welcome to the show. (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's kind of exciting to be here. So it's fun. Not only have you graduated a few times from Northwest, but you're also working here currently. Tell us what you do currently. I am the reading specialist for Horace Mann, and so I'm doing reading intervention for K-1 and 2 uh, with school ending so abruptly last year in March. It's just giving me a chance to work with our kiddos and giving us a chance to catch and fill any gaps that might have happened during our break. I've also been organizing and setting up the Bearcat Club program and kind of giving it a whole new shine and hopefully making it a little bit easier and more fun for the children, a little more organization maybe. Michelle also taught my middle daughter for three years in a row. She was preschool, pre-K, and also kindergarten teacher for my middle daughter. And then right now I have a son who's actually has been attending Bearcat Club. So we, we have some back history there. <laughs> um, but let's start with the first question that I always love to start with. What was your very first job? So you had to get paid to do it. Um, and generally, though we've had some exceptions, generally not a parental paid job. My parents didn't pay me to do chores. I was lucky. I just got to live there and they fed me. That was <laughs> That's good payment. <laughs> um, my first job is I uh, nannied for a family. And so while I was in high school, I helped run their daycare and after school. And then I took care of their daughter. I went to a community college before I went to Northwest and got an associate's degree there. And I even would, they drop her off in the morning. I would take her to college with me, drop her off at the college daycare, pick her up, had her after school. And so she was, she was kind of my baby. I helped run the daycare while I was doing that as well. And then worked at a Casey's store. So I've always worked with kids and been around kids and Did you know from an early age that you wanted to be a teacher or you wanted to work with kids? I've always known I've loved kids. I'm the oldest on both sides of my oldest girl on both sides of my family. And so lots of little cousins, lots of babies. Um, Some people say I might be a bit of a baby hog, but I will never admit to anything like that. Uh, But I've always known I've loved, love kids. They bring me joy. So talk to me about, so you, you were nannying, you were, you worked at Casey's. Um, So why did you chose to go to community college first? I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, When I first started looking into it, I was thinking I wanted to work in like a NIC unit and work with little ones that needed that extra love, that extra help. 
and um, the math part of it was really, really hard for me. I ended up, when I came to Northwest, I had a teacher talk to me about getting tested for a math disability. I'd kind of slipped through the cracks all through school, and lo and behold, I'm dyslexic. I actually have dyscalculia, and so that affects the number sense part of it, and if I wanted to go into nursing, when numbers are backwards, forwards, inside out, and upside down, it's a little bit hard to do that. And so when I had that realization, I was like, you know what, I can help kids that kind of had the same struggles I've had and maybe keep them from falling through the cracks. And so that's what I decided to do. No, that's a good, yeah, that's a good story. Um, I think sometimes people think when they come up against obstacles like that, it's, it can be a road, a real roadblock for some students. Um, I know I have several, I, I teach a class and I have several who are really frustrated and struggling in, in their math classes they're also teacher students. And so I, I definitely think to, to be able to hear a story uh, like that for someone who can graduate with a master's degree um, and still say, hey, you know, I've experienced a lot of struggles along the way. That, that can be really encouraging, I think, for students. I think for me, it was a breath of fresh air. I was like, finally, I know what's going on. I know why I have trouble with this. I know why this is hard. Everybody at Northwest that worked with me, student support services, the tutoring programs, uh, my teachers, everybody was just so open and kind and helpful. I was like, you know what, I could do this. I could be that person for these kids before they get to college and realize there's something going on. And so it was, it was nice to realize there really was something behind the struggle. Now that you're the reading specialist and you help students, you probably work with students who have dyslexia who are struggling to read. That probably is helpful that you went through that with math so you can you know, use your own stories and help them that way as well. Fun fact, dyslexia is actually a genetic type of thing. Um, my oldest daughter is dyslexic and my youngest son is dyslexic. So my middle daughter doesn't have any of the exhibit, any of it. Both uh, Aaron and Caitlin exhibit more the reading side of it with letters and letter sounds, but there's been some really great brain research and trainings that I've been able to do on how important it is to learn those letter sound associations that I feel like I've really been able to help the kiddos I get to work with as well as my own kids. Did you graduate from the community college and then come to Northwest? So tell me the story about how you came to Northwest as a, an undergrad. I graduated with my associates of the arts, just kind of a basic degree from there. The same year my brother graduated from high school. And so he was going to come up to Northwest, my little brother. And I got to come along and found out it was a teacher's college, got to see Horseman, got to do the tours. And just, I don't know, there's something about the campus in the town. Uh, it's got that small town feel, but it's still big enough where everybody doesn't know all your business like a small town would. And I just fell in, I fell in love with it. I, it was a little scary for a small town girl at first, but then everybody's so welcoming and it was so cool to walk through campus and see people smile at you and wave at you. And, you know, it's, it's got its own little village feel to it and you just fall in love with it. You can't help it. So how small is the town that you say small town? How small is it? No, it's tiny. I graduated in a class of 64 and my class was big. I think there's maybe a thousand people there. I mean, it's just really, um, the biggest thing it's known for is the Salisbury Steak Festival in the summers. <laughs> yes, there we are. <laughs> so do people come and eat Salisbury Steak there? What? No, no, you never see anybody eating Salisbury Steak. <laughs> it's just the name connection, huh? It's the name. <laughs> nice. 
I learned have, many things on this show. Right. <laughs> you have a steak festival. We have a steak festival queen. Uh, it's just very, very, there's a private Catholic school that goes to eighth grade and the public school. Those are kind of your options. Just small town, very small town. Everybody knows you. It seemed huge when I first came here. <laughs> Did you get the chance to work in the lab school right away? Tell me about the lab school. What was your experience with Horace Mann, like your initial first experience with that? I worked in the lab school for my practicum, just like teachers, uh, teacher candidates would do now. I was in Miss Marion's first grade class and had to, I'll never forget, we were working on fractions and I had to write a poem and a song for fractions. Probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, I worked with Mrs. Tapmeyer. She had some really cool things that I learned from her on behavior management. And then I got to work with Mrs. Healer in her classroom. And I remember we were doing Number of the Stars and we got to find and do some really, really cool activities with that book. And so for me, it was a very cool experience to be welcomed into the school and to be able to work with children before I ever got into the student teaching realm of it. And it gave me a lot of confidence before I went into student teaching that I'd already had some experiences in a school setting with different grades. That's a really good insight. Thinking through like the students themselves being able to have that hands-on experience and, and knowing and seeing that it builds such confidence in, in them just going out because that's what student teaching is about, right? To kind of give yourself, you, you get some real world experience before you go into it. Um, but then to back that up with even more. Horace Mann has always been known as having the best of the best teachers wise. And even working here with some of the men and women that I work with now, I mean, you truly work and learn from the best of the best when it comes to anything you're wanting to learn. I mean, each grade, you could go by grade and really pick out what that teacher is known for and amazing for. And to go in as a college student and get the chance to see these teachers in action and get to work with them and learn from them, you can't find a better experience than Horace Mann. What was the transition like going from being one of those students to now being on the other side of it and helping those students? It was very intimidating. Um, when I was first hired, I was hired in preschool. And, you know, when you go and you've put all these teachers on that pedestal as a college student, and then to find yourself there, you're like, am I worthy of this? Am I good enough to be one of the best of the best and be known for this? And the administration and the College of Education, the support that they give the Horace Mann teachers, you're not going to, I mean, to you're not going to find any place where collaboration is done more than Horace Mann because we collaborate with every area of this college. But the support that you receive and the ability, um, Dr. Wall always told us, fail going forward. And to look at if you try something new that you've learned or you've read in a journal and it doesn't work out, that's okay. And keep trying and keep making it your own. And to go into a school and be able to know that what I've learned, I can actually put into action in my classroom. And I get to teach college students the things that I know and share my knowledge with them. It's just, I don't know, it's still almost hard to believe. And I've been here, this is my sixth year that I get to be part of these kids' lives and help them to become amazing teachers. It's one of the coolest things I've ever been able to do. Once you graduated, where did you do your student teaching and where did you go after you graduated from Northwest the first time? 
Um, I got to do my special ed part at the Maryville Middle School under Wendy Miller, and I don't know if you guys know her, but she is one of the most amazing, beautiful human beings you could ever meet in your entire life. Uh, John always called her the nice huggy lady, lady because he's my husband's horrible with names a lot of the time. And then in uh, the elementary side of it, I went to Tarkio. That's where my husband's from. And I was in first grade there. I actually taught one of my husband's cousins, which was kind of fun. Uh, the teacher there, it was very hard. She was a sweet lady, very welcome. But it was very hard for her to let go of the reins of her classroom, to let me really take over. And so what I learned in Horace Mann, I think I was able to bring that in and utilize to show her that it's okay. I've got some prep. I can, I can do this. Yeah, that's a good situation to have that confidence in to start out with, you know, to not have to be worried about being able to do those types of things in that type of situation. Another thing that I, you know, in just hearing you talk about this, one of the beauties of Horace Mann is that you're teaching preschool, but you're also teaching college students. It's a very like meta, you're, everybody's teaching or learning on all these different levels. And so everybody can learn from everybody else, including administration. I, I see that too, that they're constantly learning and constantly trying to keep themselves open to new things. And that's a that's a, a really refreshing and encouraging thing to see. Mrs. King, I guess she's not Dr. King yet, but will be soon. And in, introduced me to the letters program, which is a readings program that has to do with uh, sounds, but also words and how words and sounds and letters all work together. And it's an amazing program. And, you know, that's just one example of her going out and finding those different things and learning and then bringing it back and sharing it with us, encouraging us to use it and grow through what she's learned. So you went to Tarkio. So where did you teach full time at before you came to back to Horace Mann? I graduated in December and was hired right after graduation in Brookfield, Missouri. And I was teaching their SPED program while my husband, John, was going through the police police academy in Moberly, Missouri. And so I taught a half a year there. And then he was hired in Rockport, and so we moved to Rockport and I actually drove to Maryville and taught at St. Gregory's for a year. And then we had Caitlin and she had some health issues and I stayed home for a while with her. And then we moved to Maryville when John got hired at Maryville and I decided, you know, why not drive? So I taught at Fairfax and I did their early childhood special education program and elementary SPED program. So I was in Fairfax, but I was actually for early childhood SPED over Fairfax, Tarkio and Rockport because they didn't have uh, early childhood SPED programs. So I did some traveling in the mornings and sometimes the kids were bused to me. And then in the afternoons, I did their elementary ed. And I did that for eight years before coming here. So so you were at Fairfax and then they would bring the students to you? Most of the times. There were some students I would travel a couple times a week to go and visit them in their classrooms, see if I could troubleshoot, see how I could help. I kind of specialized in children with behavior disorders. So those kids that were hard to love, they were my sweet peas that I loved. I got to be part of their lives and work with them and troubleshoot with teachers and help them out. So you've always been kind of a, a flex person, kind of figure out where is, is there needed a person who can kind of flex and who can kind of figure out some new and, and innovative ways to teach kids. Have you thought of yourself that way? I joke more that I'm the sucker that'll go anywhere they need me to go. Um, the great thing about Horseman is they always try to find where you fit best or where you're most needed. And 
apparently they have found lots of places in different areas that I may be needed. <laughs> um, I did preschool for two years, kindergarten for a year, preschool for two years, first and second grade for a year, and now I'm the reading specialist. But they're always being innovative and trying to that find that place where you're going to fit and where you're most needed. And I don't know, I guess I'm easygoing enough that I'm like, all right, let's try it out. It'll be fun. As long as I get to work with the kids, I'm happy. This is something we don't often get the chance to ask, but how was it to come back after being away from working? So staying at home and then coming back, was that difficult for you or were you excited about it? It was hard. I don't know. Being a stay-at-home mom, I loved it, but I knew that there was more I wanted to do. I'm kind of a restless personality. Uh, I loved being able to be with my girls. I love that Caitlin was able to heal and get stronger. Maddie was a baby at the time. And so I was able to be that person during their lives. I was also that person that met my husband at the door and said, talk to me. I don't care. Let's just, I need adult interaction, you know? <laughs> and so it was hard going back because there was that underlying worry of, will Caitlin be okay? Will Maddie be okay? Are they going to take care of him the same way? Uh, I did. Uh, the hardest was actually when Aaron was born because I realized with the girls I had that time, I was able to do those special things and read to them and those developmental things. And with him, I had to go right back to work. I didn't have that grace. And so actually it was harder for me after he was born because I knew I didn't have that time. I probably drove John crazy because on days he had off work, it was, you know, okay, the library has a story hour. You need to be there with the other mommies and do story hour and make sure you read these books and tummy time's important. Sounds like I, I've helped raise two other children. I think I can do this. That was harder for me than anything because, you know, I knew I got some of that time with the girls and I was okay to go back to work and knew they were okay. And with Aaron, I didn't get that. I just got the allotted time you're allowed off and that was it. You talked to me about um, earlier this year. What was the most difficult thing, either from a teacher's perspective, from maybe a kid's or from a, a developmental perspective that the pandemic affected for you guys, maybe at Horace Mann, maybe at your house, just in general? I think the hardest thing was in March when we first left out, let out and started the online learning, exactly trying to figure out how we were going to meet the needs of our children. Uh, we're very good here about meeting those individual needs and teaching to where the children are at and then helping them to grow from there, which is kind of a different look at education than most schools. And so really looking at how are we going to use a blanket instruction, but then again, make it meaningful for our children. And so when we first let out, it was a very much, we're going to do the very best we can. It was more supporting the emotional needs of our children and our families than really focusing on the educational part of it, because it was, it was scary then. It was very, a lot of unknowns. I think during the summer, we saw a lot of growth for our summer school program. We actually sent home weekly swag bags to the kids of materials that they would need to do our activities. We sent home daily videos of us teaching. Uh, Mr. O'Neill and I taught science lessons, so of us doing science experiments, and then they had the materials they needed to replicate those science experiments of math activities, of reading activities. And I think we learned and grew. So I think when this year came along, we really, Cindy and Laura, our administration had been working all summer long. And I know this is probably just me being a little proud of my school, but out of most schools that I've seen or heard of, 
I felt ours was the best prepared to go back because of all the research they'd done, because of all the work that they'd done, and because of all the talking that they've done. I mean, not just with the specialists and everybody out there, but with uh, our parents, you know, before school ever even started, a month before school started, they were having Zoom meetings and inviting parents to come. And what are your fears? What do you want to see? What questions do you have? How can we help you? And then they were educating us on what the CDC was saying, what the health center was saying. They invited uh, one of the nurses from the health center to come and talk to us on a PD day before school ever even started. And so I wasn't I wasn't worried about school starting. I wasn't nervous about that. I knew that a really good plan was in place for our kids. I knew that we'd learned a lot from the beginning to now. And so I wasn't even worried about Aaron coming back to school and in-person classes. I knew developmentally the kids needed to be around their friends. Socially, emotionally, they needed that interaction. They needed the the constant of being at school and knowing what your routine's going to be. And so that side of it, I wasn't nervous or scared at all because our administration rocked it. Those ladies worked their hineys off and continue to daily to make sure that these kids are taken care of. Um, the hardest part for me was transitioning to the reading specialist. Uh, I went from, you know, moving classrooms to not having a classroom. I went from preparing my classroom for students to what do I do? And, you know, for me, that was really hard. I'm used to having things. I don't know. There was almost like a sense of loss coming into the school year, you know, that grieving period and confusing period of what do I do? What exactly am I supposed to do? What is my role now? Because until I got kids assessed and started planning based on those assessments, I didn't really have a real plan and I don't do well without a real plan. So (laughs) that was probably the hardest part for me personally. That's also another good insight into different types of roles because as a classroom teacher, you have your kids and you kind of learn with them on a deeper level. You kind of watch them grow throughout the school year. And and as a reading specialist, you do the same thing, but we, with a different set of kids, it's not like you have them for every subject. Yeah. And so knowing that those are two very different types of roles and types of teaching, I'd never really thought about that myself, <laughs> but that's a good point that you bring up. If I'm a teacher candidate or if I'm an education student, what are some of the things that I can do um, to prepare myself for student teaching or for being a, a teacher myself? What are some of the best things I can do to prepare? Research what's out there. Uh, look at the schools. If there's an area you want to go into, what kind of discipline programs does that school use? What reading programs does that school use? And really make yourself familiar with those. I mean, here at Northwest, they do a great job of covering but really get that in-depth knowledge because that's going to help you in the future to really get a job if you're knowledgeable about what they're doing there. But once you start that practicum experience, I always tell my teachers, really think about what do you like? What do you see that you like, for instance, that I'm doing? And what do you see that you're like, "Mm, that's cool, but I'm not going to do that. And then think about how can you take that and make it your own? Because that's the important part. You've got to be able to put yourself into it. You can't just buy into a program and use it if you can't totally immerse yourself in it and make yourself part of it. And so that's the biggest piece of advice I give my practicum students is don't be afraid to ask me questions. If I'm not, if I've done something and you don't understand it, ask me. I'm the least scary person that you're going to meet on the face of the earth. But also if there's things I am doing that you don't like, make note of that. 
and say, you know what, I'm not going to try that, but I really like this and this is what I'm going to do. And really take that with them as they go, you know, in their toolbox of things that they can pull from when they are student teaching or even in their own classroom. You mentioned Bearcat Club earlier, and I think that's that's one of those things when I talk to education students, I really try to push them to, to try for those positions to work for Bearcat Club and get that extra experience. So tell us about Bearcat Club and what it is and how students can get involved with it. Bearcat Club is our after-school program, and we have Leet Center Bearcat Club, which I'm over Leet Center and Horseman, but then I have two of the most amazing college students working underneath of me that are kind of the head of those programs and taking the reins. Abby Buman does the Leet Center Bearcat Club, and she has taken that over. She has turned it into a mini classroom where they go from their classroom and they come together and they have a class family that is just their Bearcat Club class family. She started a private Facebook page for parents to see what they do in the after school program, but it's a chance to work with children and interact and get some of that time with the children without actually going into the classroom. You're getting paid to play with kids, essentially. Um, Horseman, Tyler Throckmorton is in charge of the horseman side of it. And the guy is crazy. I love him to death. He's so sweet with the kids. It's great to have that positive male role model working with the kids. I don't see enough guys in the education program. Any guys that are listening, come come to education. We need those positive male role models. Um, but again, it's a chance to plan activities, uh, to get some of that planning practice because both sides, they do plan activities for the kids. So it's that planning practice in a less structured environment. But it's another, it's a chance to interact with the kids, play with the kids, just get to be a part of their lives. Sometimes kids, that's all they need is to know that they're somebody out there that is going to be somebody in their lives that loves them and job wise you know going to the northwest homepage and looking there for job openings that's where we post just like everybody else um, don't expect to come into working at the elite center or bearcat club and think that this is a place where you're going to do your homework or get to watch netflix while you sit at a desk you are in the trenches with the kids. You are playing, you are interacting, you are helping collect data. Um, you're a very important contributing part of these kids' education. And it's important that you're there and you're tired when you leave at the end of the day, but you're happy. What a huge thing to put on your resume. Yeah, it's such a good experience. And, you know, there's also one at St. Gregory's, you know, you mentioned that you worked there at the Catholic school in town. There's one at Eugene Field, the public school. So there are opportunities. When I work with our elementary ed students, I'm like, you know, we have an awesome program. But the problem with that is everybody's got that awesome program. So you're going to be competing against fellow Bearcats for jobs. So if you want to stand out, what can you do that puts you even more in front of children. So working with Bearcat Club, you know, doing internships in the summer at summer camps, you know, work with kids every chance you get so that you outwork your peers and maybe get a job over them when you graduate. Because it is an awesome program, but when everybody's got awesome, then it's kind of a level playing field. Well, and the good thing with Horseman and the Elite Center is our teachers are pushed to go and encourage, I don't want to say push, but encourage to go out and speak at conferences and get our name out there. Uh, we've given tours to even MU's early childhood program wanting to develop 
and look like ours. Um, we've had people come through for tours wanting to see our program and learn from it. Temple Grandin was here and spoke very highly of the Horseman and Lee Center programs. And so our names are out there. So if you can go and say, I worked at Horseman, I worked at the Lee Center, I was a student employee, that's going to mean something to a lot of schools because the names of these schools are getting out there more and more as a place to be and a place to learn from, which is amazing. And that's, again, the work of our administration and Dr. Wall encouraging us and getting our names out there. What does it mean to you to be a Bearcat? Uh, For me, it's a sense of pride. Everywhere you go, no matter where you're at, you're going to meet another Bearcat. I have been in airports. I have been at baseball games. I was on a float trip going down the Niangua River this summer. If you have a Northwest shirt on, Northwest hat on, somebody's going to go and yell out, go Bearcats. Once a Bearcat, always a Bearcat. And everywhere you go, you're going to meet, no matter what, at least one Bearcat. Because we're all over. And it is. It's a sense of pride. This is a college that's known. It's a college that people want to come to. They want to do our online programs. They want to watch our teams play sports. They want to, you know, if you talk to other schools, these are places where we want, they want teachers that graduate from Northwest. And to be able to say that I'm part of the college and I get to work with college students and help them to become Bearcats in their own field, it's a sense of pride. It's a cool thing to be able to say that. So at the end of every episode, I've been giving people a platform to talk about whatever they want to talk about. So here's your platform. Speak extemporaneously on on the things you've been thinking about. For me, something that I feel very strongly about is believing in who you are. Don't do things for other people. If college isn't your thing, you want to do a trade school or whatever, do it. If you want to work with children, but they're encouraging you to, you know, do a job with more money, be true to you and be true to who you are. If you identify, if you are of a certain race, if you are um, anybody, a hick, a popular person, whatever in high school, that doesn't define who you are. Come to the college, be here and define who you are and be proud of who you are. Take pride in that and continue to grow in who you are and let people know who you are and be the best person that you can be because that's what we need in this world are people who are proud of who they are, who encourage others and who are the best that they can be. That's great advice. I think I might take it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. For letting me do this. This was fun. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat, and we'll talk to you next time.